Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Dade Hayes, uh, who is the author along with Don Chmielewski. Did I get that right? You did. Close enough? Okay, good. Uh, the author of Binge Times, Inside Hollywood's Furious Billion Dollar Battle to Take Down Netflix. Uh, Dade is the uh, business editor of Deadline, um, and he has written two books about entertainment before, as well as you know, writing for the New York Times, Variety, uh, and uh, the podcast Business Wars. Uh, you are are you in Larchmont right now? This is I am. Are you coming to Seen us from it. New York? Great, yes, exactly. Great. <laughs> uh, so uh, thanks for being on the show, Dade. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Sonny. Glad to be here. All right. So your book is uh, it is fascinating because it is very much a first draft of history that we all just live through. It is a it is it is a fascinating read to kind of to 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 go over and uh, you know revisit some of these things that we have we have lived through here in the last couple of years. And the first thing I want to ask you is how did the book actually? So I I feel like this book must have changed pretty radically after the pandemic hits and the streaming wars really kick off into high gear. What what was it like to? Uh, be writing this in the midst of all of that? It's a great question. I mean, we have spent a lot of time thinking about how to present it, and we do have a section toward the beginning of the book where we try to lay out for the reader a bit of our, um, without getting too meta, kind of like the author's journey, just as we all were going through a crazy journey through the pandemic. So, yeah, we so we hooked up uh, together as co-authors uh, in 2019. We had worked together, Don and I, at Deadline, and kind of, you know, chronicled this in on the site together, often co-bylining stories and coming up with enterprise ideas and so forth. And so it was a natural collaboration to end up doing the book. But when we set off on the path, it was 2019. We had a certain, you know, travel plan and a kind of grandiose notion of like where we would end up and what we would try to do. The aim was to document these five new services that were hitting the market all in a cluster in late 2019 and 2020. Um, Disney Plus, Apple TV Plus, HBO Max, Peacock, Quibi. Um, yes, we may talk to talk to you about Quibi at some point in this in this show. Um, but we had the, had these grand designs, and then, as you say, the pandemic really hit like a thunderbolt. And at first we were thrown, you know, we obviously needed to buy extra time with our publisher to get, you know, the manuscript in order. And we kind of were regrouping. And then we realized, like, the pandemic itself and how that shifted everybody's habits um, and and just created this tidal wave of interest in streaming, um, as well as the incredible challenge and the hurdle of trying to get a product launched during this time, it made it even more fascinating and just made it even more, um, I think, essential to try to, you know, soldier on through it. So we, we needed extra time, but we built a bit more reflection on the pandemic into that. And it kind of, that, that plays a bigger role in the story. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a great metaphor in the uh, the, the preface here. I want to I just want to actually read it uh, for folks because it is it is, uh, I think, perfect. Uh, here's yeah, here's here's from your guys preface. Uh, quote, the pandemic did more than elevate streaming as an inextricable element of modern life. It seemed to almost inject all of us into the stream like platelets flowing through blood in a massive vein and and that is end quote sorry and that is that is like kind of a perfect metaphor for the the zoom life that we have all lived right or that we lived for i don't know six six to 18 months depending on where you lived um uh in in the country Uh, because it really it really did feel like we were uh not just 
watching all of our entertainment via stream, but also living via stream. It's so true. I mean, telemedicine and school and, you know, city council meetings and, you know, arts and entertainment. It was all happening virtually. It was all happening. You know, I live in New York and I'm a, I'm a real, you know, fan of the, of the live theater. And that was just an agonizing period of watching people. I mean, it was inventive and you complimented them for their enterprise, but it was like, oh man, agonizing to sit at home and not be able to go to, go to a show. Um, so it's true. We were all sort of thrust into this. So it was like, I mean, we joke that we would, you know, take breaks from our day of being on Zooms and, you know, filing for a website uh, in order to watch streaming. It was like you go from one side of the room to the other, like little screen, big screen. And I'm not the first to make that sort of quip, but um, but it really is kind of profound when you look back on it. It did, you know, it, I think we're still, I think, feeling some of the after effects and we may be for some time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it, it 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 was a revolutionary time, and it really has changed how the business of Hollywood works. So let's let's talk about uh, let's let's talk about that big shift here, because I mean that is that's the focus of this book. What uh, what was it about this kind of launch period uh, that most jumped out to you as you were reporting this out? Right? What was it? What was the big challenge for these companies? Uh, both from a technological and from a consumer standpoint. Well, it's 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 this historic moment. People have said, you know, why? How do you know when to just sort of put a finger down on the map and say hey, this is where we're going to go? We felt this was the signal moment, the culmination of a lot of the um, you know strategic moves and 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 dilemmas that these companies had faced and it all came to the fore um, in this in this time period so you have the traditional companies NBC Universal Warner Media Disney all trying to grapple with a legacy business that is shrinking you know the pay TV bundle definitely getting smaller and smaller the economics there are challenged and yet they had to try to you know, launch a full-blown streaming service, which you know requires engineers. It requires the actual technology. You see, Disney acquiring BamTech. You see, um, you know, Warner Media by virtue of being owned by AT and T, trying to leverage you know those resources. Um, NBC, its cousins at Comcast with cable. You know, you have a lot of those uh, people leaning on things. Then you cross the aisle in big tech. You've got Apple. Finally, after dithering for you know two decades about television, they had Apple TV, but it was really a kind of a, a first step. They had never gone directly to programming and to really trying to you know penetrate the living room in a complete way. And you had them finally taking the plunge. So, in terms of their imperatives, they are different. You know, the tech obviously a company like Apple, Apple TV Plus is like a rounding error. You know, it right. isn't a huge like all stakes bet. Um, but it's reputationally interesting, and, and and we found it fascinating that they didn't, they weren't very buttoned up. You know, this is a company that prides itself on only launching, you know, products when they're ready. As certainly Steve Jobs, that was his legacy, and they've tried to carry that forward. And it launched with a bit of a wobbly slate, you know, not not a perfect slate. And then across back across the aisle with traditional entertainment, you could just sort of see the. Uh, you know, anxiety and and the, just the pure <laughs> flop sweat of like having to push into streaming when you don't even know the economics of it. And it was uncertain in 2019 and 2020. Here we are in 2022, and we'll probably get to Netflix uh, soon in this conversation. But all bets are off in terms of like, is streaming a good business? Can you actually scale it? 
you know, can you re reward shareholders? Um, there had been this kind of article of faith that, oh, streaming is kind of it. It's the alpha and omega. And now we're in this very uncertain period. So I think uncertainty underlies the entire story. Like nobody really kind of knew that they were parking a good humor truck at an, you know, <laughs> and they were the only one at the playground on a hot summer day and everybody would just flock to them and buy, you know, nobody, nobody really knew. Yeah, I, you mentioned Netflix. Let's let's talk about Netflix because obviously, you know, the subtitle of this book is about trying to catch. It's Netflix is the big, you know, eight hundred pound gorilla in the room, right? And it is that because of its stock value, which uh, has declined pretty precipitously over the last, I mean, the last couple of days. But I mean, really, the last year, it's down almost two thirds, um, which is is was something to behold. Uh, but it is it, what 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 has always been very. What has always been curious to me about Netflix is this idea that it would be the only one that that we've looked at, uh, I don't know, 100 years of television and somebody somewhere was like, you know what, we'll just have one streaming service. It'll, it'll be Netflix. And that'll that makes sense for everyone. How did that happen? How did how did we get to that point where Wall Street and others were like, yeah, yeah we, maybe there'll just be one Netflix. That makes sense. Well, it is remarkable. I mean, I, boy, that's a that that is a. Very um, direct, seemingly simple <laughs> question, but with many, many answers. I'll try my yeah. best to kind of unpack it. But um, it is fascinating because, you know, they emerged from a field of three. You know, it was Hulu, Amazon Prime and Netflix all came to market in 2007 with a streaming service. You know, Netflix has had 10 years under its belt selling DVD or, you know, uh, renting out DVDs prior to that. So they had the advantage of all that data and just you know, momentum as a company. But, you know, it was a three horse town for, you know, the first decade plus. But to your point, I think they did emerge as the pure play, as the one that you could sign up for without any complications. Hulu, for much of its life, initially had advertising. There wasn't an ad-free version. It was primarily enjoyed on, you know, laptop computers, even desktop computers, God forbid, way back when. Um, and so it just wasn't very competitive I mean, it was competitive, but not quite. It just sort of like mm -hmm. was was mm -hmm. trailing the other two. So anyway, to your to your main question, I mean, why were they alone? It's it's really, I think, a cyclical phenomenon that we've seen in the entertainment business over many years. The music business was the last big go round, where there is a kind of complacency that sets in, a kind of mindset of like, oh, we couldn't possibly be, you know, unseated from our throne. That's that's ridiculous, and so. Netflix comes along and willingly, you know, pays big bucks for, to, you know, to license out shows. And so the media business, the, the media companies view it as just a great customer and a great sort of, um, you know, a, a supplement. You know, DVD revenue had completely died away at that point. And now you have streaming and, you know, suddenly Netflix was, I mean, it's funny, Disney has talked a lot about pulling back, you know, Pixar movies and Star Wars and Marvel, you know, off of um, uh, Netflix, which they have, but you still have shows, you know, like Grey's Anatomy and and others that, you know, so it's like a mint was um, spent by Netflix to get these shows. And so the companies just saw it as kind of easy money and they really underestimated, you know, the famous quote from Reed, uh, from, um, I'm sorry, from Jeff Bukas. Uh, about Netflix as, you know, oh, yeah, it's like the Albanian army is going to invade, you know, really like scoffing at the possibility that Netflix as a company 
could rise to the level where they would, you know, challenge or even overtake the big media companies. And now we're kind of in that. Interestingly enough, now Netflix is going to be valued more like a media company and the media companies are kind of in this uncertain period about how they want to present themselves to Wall Street. So it's it's sort of well, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, because this is this is this was always Netflix secret sauce, right? Is they're not really a, a media company; they're a tech company. They're algorithms and they're you know uh, streaming technology, and they are they are interfaces. They're not they're not a production company, but now they are a production company, and they're running into all the problems a production company has, which is which is interesting. I, one thing uh, one thing that you mentioned in your book, and I I had never really thought about it this way, but it makes perfect sense, is that uh the studios are run by people people have incentives and the incentives for studio executives is to hit their hit their markers so they can make bonuses um and they the netflix basically took advantage of that to build their build their service at the expense of everybody else that's a great point it's absolutely true no we we did um spend a lot of time talking to people about that cuz even people who are uh benefiting from it and are have been kind of caught up in that um, recognize that it's not a sustainable it, it, it is a sustainable model if you don't intend to um, keep rising higher and holding competition at bay because te- you know tech companies um, obviously have a very different makeup they don't um, it's more about equity it's more about and and now with as you say Netflix stock being down you know two-thirds over the past year you have a lot of disenchantment internally at Netflix saying hey wait you paid me all these uh, options in these shares and now I'm underwater and that's not cool. So, it, you know, it can kind of cut both ways. But in success, if you assume that you're gaining and improving and, and getting customers and things are moving in the right direction, it can be mo- more lucrative uh, it to, you know, to be an employee at Netflix. But there's just a different mindset. Yeah. Media companies, public, uh, they got to hit their numbers. They got to hit the profit uh, numbers. And you see this acrimony play out where you have business leaders at media companies one famous example you know you may know or maybe your listeners know is john landgraf who runs fx mm-hmm. very known as a very thoughtful you know tastemaker within the tv business and has really built that brand up you know enormously over the last you know 20 years and he has openly complained about you know silicon valley gets judged by a different standard they don't have to book profit they don't have to you know tell their shareholders that they're making a 20% margin um, and it's true i think he's got a he's got a good point there's just different rules apply but for all of the lip service at you know disney and these other companies about getting competitive with tech they could make bigger adjustments to do that. I think they could make more systemic change. You know, it's just going to take time for them to decide if that's the path they want yeah. to take. Yeah. And and as Netflix was building up its business, I mean, the 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 studio execs, you know, at, at Disney and elsewhere were happy to, you know, get an extra eight figures worth of revenue. Uh, completely. Because I... You, Take take our Pixar movies, please. We would we, we need that money. A thousand percent. And then yeah, the company was, and by extension, the the the, the bonus employees, people with skin in the game, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I uh, so you you mentioned taste making, and that that is a I think the undercurrent of a lot of uh, the discussion of the various services because Netflix is kind of a fire hose. It's just <laughs> here's a lot of stuff. 
Here's a lot of stuff. But then you have Apple TV, which is much more curated. HBO Max, which has its kind of the HBO aura uh, around it. Um, and Hulu, which has teamed with, FA- with FX, with John Landgraf and, and those guys. Um, uh, what, are, what are the... How, how are those two different strategies kind of playing out uh, as the, the streaming wars kick off? I mean, is it, it what, from your perspective, just a, a, as a, as a business person and also a fan of, of media, like how are you, how are you watching all that play out? Yeah, it's fascinating. Cause I, you know, you're exactly right in sort of, um, you know, assessing where everybody is. Apple, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, came out of the gate with a very mixed opening slate. Um, you know, morning show was their marquee show. Sort of, I think we can agree, mixed bag. Some merits, maybe not not tons of merit. I don't know. Not a bad show, but like kind of, a, I don't know, not a, not a consensus winner. And the, 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 the verdict was overall rather mixed. And then they kind of have, to their credit, found their footing Obviously, Ted Lasso, but even more recently, shows that have been on in the last few months, Severance and Pachinko, these are really accomplished, interesting shows that kind of build on their prestige. So it's taken them a while to get there, but they do have that kind of selectivity and no library, which is even more interesting. Like there's not a lot uh, you can tune into on Apple TV Plus. But the others, um, you know, just if I can speak a little more generally about the others, it's Everybody is chasing like a a Mandalorian. That's the problem. Like Morning Show was the marquee show for Apple, but I'm not even sure it brought as many people in the door as they hoped. I mean, maybe it did. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll never know (laughs) because there's not (laughs) actual data. Um, But I think the Mandalorian really became the poster child for like what everybody wanted because it had a tie to a gigantic recognizable universe, which is Star Wars. It had... um, you know, just everybody kind of was curious about it. So like, oh, if I want to watch Mandalorian, I'm going to need to get Disney Plus. That was just, that was it. Um, and HBO Max, because I think we document in the book with the pandemic, HBO Max and Peacock were the most challenged in terms of getting new shows on the air. And they both suffered. They both came out of the gate pretty weak. And as we speak here today in 2022, they're on uh, a firmer foundation, especially HBO Max, I think is is in a groove, but I think at the start, that's that's one reason it was fascinating to see them sally forth, you know, during the midst of a global crisis, because they couldn't get shows produced. They couldn't, you know, in the case of Peacock, they didn't have, you know, Premier League soccer, they didn't have the Olympics, they didn't have the, the sports element that people like. So, you know, I don't, I've drifted maybe a little from your question. I don't know if that addressed it, but they each are looking for their identity. That's really what it is. Like, what is the identity? And it's hard. There are 300 plus, you know, subscription services in the U S like, how do you stand out? It's, it's, it's enormously challenging. And notice that we haven't even mentioned Paramount plus and, you know, stars and AMC plus, and there's a huge roster that probably a lot of your listeners are checking out regularly but it's really hard to stand out yeah i mean it it, it's it is it is a it's a fascinating time just because we i i i am skeptical uh of a lot of these things surviving for much you know for 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 more than five or ten years because there are only so many things that people will sign up for 
Um, and one of the like really fascinating uh, parts of your book is looking at the the evolution of Hulu and how that kind of worked into the Disney Plus, ESPN Plus universe. I like Hulu a lot. I think it's I, I, I'm a relative late cover to Hulu. I only signed up a, a year or two ago. Um, but it, it it really has a great library. It has great originals. Uh, but I don't think it could survive on its own without being part of the ESPN Disney universe. Are we headed back to a, a place where you're going to see, like, Netflix will probably be on its own. You'll have HBO Max teaming up with Discovery Plus, right, That's uh, right. For, for a bundle there. You'll have Hulu, ESPN, whatever. Um, and, and, like, AMC Plus has its own, like, kind of little mini universe with Shudder and and all, all the rest. Yeah. I mean, is that is that where we're headed back to? Just like a series of smaller bundles? We're going to re, re-plug in the cord? Yeah, I think we are. I, and it's not the end of the world, I don't think. Because like you, I was a little late. I, well, I wasn't later on Hulu. But I was, um, once they offered it as a bundle, like I hadn't taken the plunge on ESPN Plus. And so I was like, great, bundle me up. <laughs> you know, because I think it is a pain point how much friction there is and how many um, how many services are out there, both from a an economic standpoint, like obviously discretionary spending is not infinite. So we all make choices about what we will and won't spend on. But even logistically, okay, I'm sitting in front of my screen. I want to access this content. How do I find it? I Oh, I heard X show is great. Where is it? You know, so the bundling, I think, does ease some of that uh, angst about finding content. And it just makes business sense. I mean, it's been remarkable to watch the new crew in charge at Warner Brothers Discovery just make no bones about like we're bundling, we're bundling, we're bundling, not only bundling it, but actually merging it into one service. And I think that's also kind of to the Hulu point. We did determine based on extensive reporting you know, both inside and outside Disney, even though officially their position is, heck no, we would never do that <laughs> as of now. I think within the next two to three years, you see Hulu formally kind of brought inside of Disney+. Plus. Now, how do you bring American Horror Story in, you know, where preschoolers are accessing right. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse? I don't know exactly, but they already are, I think, pretty far along with parental controls in general on, on Disney. Um, so I feel like the tech is going to help them solve that. But, but anyway, I think it's just, it's inevitable that Hulu becomes part of the fold. Well, because it's an interesting technical problem and you guys, you guys talk about a little bit about this, uh, in, um, uh, I think it's, uh, maybe, maybe it's the uh, chapter nine, it's chapter nine. Um, uh, he, I, I just want to, I want to read this, this passage because it was something that, uh, has jumped out at me in the past and I'm not entirely sure what the answer is. Uh, quote, what no one knows, even the great and powerful Amazon con agreed is how to guide sports viewers through this transition. Uh, this is a chapter you're talking about sports and bringing sports to streaming. Unlike in the traditional bundled world, there is no channel surfing and streaming, he pointed out. Mm -hmm. When consumers look through their on-screen grid at night, they'll see certain things and think, oh, I didn't know the next game was on. With streaming, it has to be must-see TV, end quote. And mm -hmm. here's, here's, I mean, there, there, it really is a problem, and one that Apple TV kind of solves. I have an Apple TV, and it's nice to be able to kind of go to the, the place where I see all of the different things that I have, you know, that I've been watching, and they're like, okay, more of this is here. Mm -hmm. But it's not the same as 
flipping through the channels. It's not the same as looking at, you know, the the DirecTV guide and trying to figure out what is on a channel I might not have watched before. It's not the same as stumbling upon uh, a baseball game that I that I didn't know was on and was like, okay, yeah, I'll watch this, fine. Um, it is. It's a different thing, and I don't. I'm I'm curious if you if you uh, have a sense of how the streamers understand this problem and if they see it as a place where they need to work together to kind of make it easier for people to you know integrate all of these different services together i think they do i I think you even heard it last week quite honestly in in the commentary out of netflix they were admitting that it's kind of a many-fold challenge for them right now which is improve the caliber of their programming, which to hear them admit that kind of candidly was pretty stunning, but then also improve the interface. I mean, they're very proud of their product and they should be. It's the best in class. I think it's the most seamless. It gives them a huge advantage, but I think they haven't quite reckoned with, you alluded earlier to the fire hose of you know, programming. They just have a ton of stuff ton of product on the shelf that they have to figure out how to show off but also kind of more to what you're getting at and what you just read from in the book is the this idea of the serendipity i mean television there's an immediacy to television um that i think is is not fully being captured in streaming and if you posit as many do that the entire television bundle is moving to streaming you don't want to lose that um kind of, uh, you know, property that 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 alchemy of television in that transition, you know, both from a business standpoint, advertising standpoint, and just from a viewer engagement standpoint. Um, so I think a lot of people are working at it. Peacock, I know, takes a lot of knocks, and it's not exactly at the top of the heap at the moment. But I thought they came up with a pretty novel attack with exactly what you were discussing in mind. Like they wanted it to have a live feel where you have rolling stock when you when you tune in. And, you know, the Matt Strauss, who was running it at that point, um, he's still there, but kind of got kicked upstairs to bigger challenges. But um, he told us that it, he thinks of a lot of SVOD services, you know, like Netflix and others, as being like a casino. You know, no clocks on the walls, no sense of direction, no windows. So you kind of don't know... And, you know, I've asked Ted Sarandos directly, like, why don't you advertise when your drops are? You know, why not say 1201, you're going to see the next season of Stranger Things? And he just, he kind of just, they're dogged. They they were at the time. We're going to see if they're willing to maybe adapt a little bit. But they have this dogged belief in on-demand, um, the, the on-demand value proposition. It's available when you want it. If it's three in the morning, if it's noon, if it's, you know, if you're in, you know, far flung uh, Southeast Asia, if you're in Europe, if you're in America, like it's it's always there to pull down off the shelf. And anything that's like driving toward tune in is old school, in his opinion, Mm -hmm. you know, as is theatrical exhibition, as as are other aspects of the old way. Um, You know, he's he's they they believe binge releasing is still what viewers want so you know so i guess it's just going to be interesting sports is the key i think you you were you were um right on when you mentioned sports because we do spend some time in the book grappling with sports um you know that's a huge piece of business when you've got i mean there's nothing bigger in the live tv world at this time even awards shows and other things that used to be reliable revenue 
or, or ratings generators are not. So if they can't figure out a way to kind of leverage sports, Amazon will be a big test this fall when they start their exclusive run with NFL rights on Thursday nights. You know, how do they, you know, but that's an interesting thing. You can be a, a media maven, right? Media junkie. You're on your laptop during the day. You're on your phone and you still might not know when or how to get that football game. Like the first few weeks, I think we're going to hear a lot of grumbling and yeah. grousing. I live in New York, Apple, and you said you have an Apple TV and probably yep. presumably Apple TV plus. And so they put some major league baseball games. It's a Friday night uh, doubleheader now on, on Apple TV plus. And there were a lot of howls in New York when people realized like, wait, I can't just flip on. It's not a simulcast. This is the only place you can see it. And so I don't know. I think there's going to be benefits from the ones who learn how to work those levers. They're already spending, if I can finish my very long-winded answer on this, they're already spending quite lavishly, the streamers, on traditional advertising. We saw it Super Bowl Sunday. You just see it when you're watching anything that is commercially supported, mainly sports. <laughs> and I watch a yeah. lot of it. You see them hawking their wares all the time. And it tends to be like shows. But I could see HBO Max trying to galvanize interest like, hey, it's Stanley Cup playoff time. And we've got the first round series between, you know, the teams. Yeah. And, you know, kind of it, it's a little bit old school, but taking the old school you know, if it ain't broke, I mean, promotional announcements have been around forever. And I, I, I imagine you'll see more of that. Yeah, I, uh, I have an advertising question. You mentioned advertising. Mm -hmm. I, I, I want to change that slightly, just just redirect slightly. Uh, we are headed toward a moment when all of the major streaming services, it seems like are going to be offering an ad supported tier, um, which you know, as somebody, uh, I mean, look, I'm, I've am i grown up through cable and the, the early part of the streaming revolution broadcast. I've, I've, I've lived through it all. And I've, I've done both, you know, the ad-based stuff and the non-ad-based stuff. And I have to say, I'm watching AMC's uh, Better Call Saul live hmm. now, like an idiot. Because <laughs> I, or at least that's how I feel. Because I'm sitting there, like, waiting for the advertisements to be over. And I just, I, I have a hard time believing that people really want to go back to that. Even if it's to save, you know, five bucks on your on your subscription or whatever. But I mean, it just seems it feels like such a step backwards for these companies to be like, you know what we need? We need advertising. That's how we're going to save all these networks. I, you know, I share a lot of that sentiment. I think I think you're I feel very similarly. And I have certain shows. Atlanta for me is one where it's just like the, that that's the way you got to get. I mean, if if you don't want to don't want to wait 24 hours for it to pop up on Hulu. But it is true that it's an odd, um, it's an odd thing. It's also particularly odd for Disney, HBO Max, n and now Netflix to go from ad-free and then like because usually it's gone the other way. If you think of Hulu, if you think of cable mm -hmm. TV, you know, mm -hmm. Bravo a million years ago was ad-free. Um, MTV had no ads, and then eventually they phase in advertising. So. It, it is an interesting thing to turn that on its head and try to do it in reverse. The the Hulu example, though, I've talked to them a lot and just looked at the numbers a lot, and it's still heavily, heavily weighted toward the ad-supported because they've opened up a gap. If you remember, they kind of tinkered with their pricing structure, so it's about half as much. I think it's... Is it still at mm -hmm. six bucks? It might have risen a bit from there, but let's call it six or seven for the ad-supported. 
And then the ad free, I think, is still at 12. So, mm-hmm. you know, you do pay more. And their uh, findings have been that people just are okay saving a few bucks. I mean, the ad load, I think, let's not also overlook the ad load, meaning the number of ads you have to sit through, is a lot less in streaming. You know, yep. it, it's about a third. I think Peacock is capped at like five minutes an hour. And, and if m- m- most of the others are in that range. So, and then the other thing I was talking to somebody yesterday with Netflix, like the, if they were smart, they might just scrupulously avoid breaks. Like Hulu, I really like Hulu, but I'm not a big fan of their ad experience because you really get hit with breaks. Now they're short, 30 seconds to a minute, but they're they're really hitting the viewer with a lot of breaks, which is a bummer. Uh, so let's let's talk about one of the uh, one of the misfires of the streaming revolution. Uh, I think it's fair to, to describe Quibi as such. Uh, what what happened there? Because I mean it's 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 an interesting idea, and I I do think that you know they they got hurt by the pandemic, but it seemed to have been just kind of a goat rodeo from from the get go. <laughs> that is a very accurate description. Um, they raised one point seven five billion dollars in startup financing. So it was a very well-funded effort led by Jeffrey Katzenberg, who has a great pedigree, you know, through his time at Disney and DreamWorks. Um, So definitely had A-list talent. Uh, Meg Whitman, also former head of eBay, was the CEO of the company. And they went around making A-list deals with top creators. But the the actual um, experience of their service was, I think, a questionable one in that it was mobile, so they had no smart TV app. If you wanted to, to, if you had been watching a show on your phone, and then wanted to finish it at home in the living room, you couldn't. Uh, I had no shareability, so if you really loved a particular clip and you wanted to share it with your friends on social media, you couldn't. Um, and it it just never quite mustered up like a show that became like a huge water cooler show to the extent that the water cooler even exists these days. But it never really had like a you know, just that show, we all, we all can name examples of the, of the signature shows. And, you know, as I mentioned, every service needs their calling card. Every service needs a Mandalorian or back when, you know, when Netflix was stepping into the content game, they needed house of cards and orange is the new black. They needed, needed a lineup that would make people come back for more. And Quibi just never really did develop that. And so, you know, in our reporting, you know, somebody described it as just like a, a business idea in search. It was like a solution in search of a problem. Like nobody had said like, Hey, there's nothing I can watch on my phone <laughs> if I'm yeah. online at the bank. I mean, and, and let's not forget also that TikTok was rising to a position of, of absolute domination of this space. I mean, I, you know, I covered, uh, uh, Alphabet earnings the other day, and they were saying, you know, YouTube is basically losing share to TikTok, um, which mm-hmm. is kind of an unbelievable situation. So, you know, it's very competitive out there. And oh, for one one final thing I'll throw in is they're doing all this and asking people to sign up for subscriptions, TikTok, YouTube, you know, the mobile video kind of wants to be free. I think that's, you know, yeah. Ver- Verizon learned that lesson with Go90, you know, which failed. So, they kind of went on in in spite of all the warning signs, and it lasted a few months. But you can still watch yeah. Quibi. You can watch it on the Roku. Well, it's on Roku now. Right, right? Watch the watch shows it. on the Roku channel. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is. It's interesting to to read those chapters because it it is a 
it is a fascinating mixture of a just having too much money. I mean, they they had too much money, which led to uh, real problems with expectations, right? I mean, they couldn't just do the small stuff. They had to get big names. What, what did they pay Reese Witherspoon to I narrate? Think was, a, I think a it was ten million dollars to narrate a documentary series. Which Crazy. Is... <laughs> Crazy, yeah, you know, you're right, and, and exactly, they were trying to deliver a Netflix level uh, of programming on your phone, which. You know, I think as you started off by saying, like, there's something kind of laudable about the ambition, I suppose, um, but it really didn't square with reality. They also were very interested in this um, technology they developed called Turnstile, where if you had the phone vertically and you switch it to landscape, that it would intuitively shift so that the experience, like, it almost like was a production feature that you wouldn't lose any there was no latency or there was no kind of jitter when you would do that it was very seamless but you know i i think it's kind of one of these gimmicks like uh smell a vision or something like you don't hang an entire business on that i don't think so yeah easy to make fun of quibi but i think other people have come to their defense recently and just said and i think with some reason that you know, it. They took a big swing and they missed. Um, and, and we don't. And we don't put them through the ringer in the book. But it is a pretty. It's kind of a, an appealing <laughs> target. Yeah. I mean, they just. You know. Well, I mean, it is. It is. I. I. It's. It's one of the only like real obvious failures of this this whole period. I mean, they're everybody's still kind of struggling to to find their their way. And like, in a way, you have to give. Uh, Katzenberg uh, and Whitman, Meg Whitman, right? Meg Whitman, um, yeah. You have to give them credit for pulling the plug and just being like, all right, we're going to give our investors their money back. This is not working. Uh, we're, 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 we're sorry. We gave it a shot. But it is interesting to see something just really uh, kind of crash and burn. You don't, we, we haven't had too many examples of that uh, on a massive corporate level uh, in this, in this period. Right. Usually they, they, you know, they might get, acquired or subsumed into some other entity. We've talked a bit about just the um, kind of moving parts of streaming in this conversation. And you could have imagined Quibi perhaps finding that uh, path as well. I mean, ultimately it did through Roku, but you know, it was just (laughs) bought for spare parts. I mean, pennies on the dollar. So yeah, it it is unusual for the flame out for the idea that, Oh wait, I once had, I once had an app on my phone called Quibi and then it just vanished, you know? And we, yeah. recently we saw it with CNN Plus, which didn't well, last yeah, didn't last nearly as long as as Quibi. <laughs> that's, that's another that's another one for sure. Uh, that that was a kind of spectacular misfire. Um, <laughs> though CNN still exists, so you know, <laughs> that's if true. you you know that is it, it, it's funny you mentioned CNN Plus, uh, and it does feel like CNN or the the news the 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 one thing that we are missing, I think, from uh, the non-skinny bundles, right? The non, you know, just the, the straight-up streaming platforms is like a straight news service. Um, you know, you, you I guess you can watch Fox News on, like, Pluto TV on your smart TV or something, but, you know, or, or like, Newsmax or OANN or whatever, right? But, like, just having... having I The reason CNN Plus didn't make any sense to me, I've discussed this with people, but it didn't make any sense to me because I couldn't just watch CNN, on it that's that's all i really would want you know i i would be able i would basically be able to cut the cord at that point if i could just watch cnn well and to everything right exactly no that's totally right and guess who really prevented them from 
uh, putting the the full live stream on there, it was all their pay TV partners because basically they said like, if you do that, <laughs> then we're gonna drop you and your channel, which is you know carried in eighty five million homes, is gonna lose its distribution. And this is the story of you know HBO and ESPN and a million other services where what they came to market with, HBO figured out a way to finally get there, but there was a lot of pain along the way and, and ESPN is still feeling it. Discovery, I think a lot of their content is kind of, it's watered down because basically you can't offer the the A-grade stuff. And it's true. I mean, as you were talking about, you know, hey, there's nobody really doing a full-blown news offering. I, I do think of, you know, NBC News Now and CBSN and some of these but then I was sort of thinking, well, but it's not really the A-list talent. You know, you're not seeing Lester Holt on that. You know, you're not seeing Nora O'Donnell. It's, with all respect to those guys, kind of the the whole system is like a, a farm team of on-air talent that you pay much less because you're in streaming <laughs> and the, the yeah. ad rates are lower and the distribution fees are lower. And so it's a different business model. So yeah, nobody really has brought the premium top end product and you see it over at fox which is interesting they've incubated this service called fox nation and some of their talent um tucker carlson and others have kind of dabbled with programming on there but you're not going to see you know hannity or the big guns like with a full-blown show on fox nation it's just not yeah because they don't want to compete with themselves right and, and fox nation almost seems like a uber fan service basically a way for like fans of fox <laughs> news to uh you know send fox news a little more money be like hey <laughs> we're really into you uh more than an actual news service i mean obviously they you know they have shows and podcasts and whatever i don't want to denigrate any of my friends at fox news uh and the the great work they're doing at fox nation but uh but uh you know it is it is a uh, it's it's interesting that there is that gap uh, in your in your in your book, you talk about how sports basically is the last thing keeping broadcast afloat. The iron, what is it? The iron channels, the uh, big iron, the, yeah, the big big iron, yeah. 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 And and I, I do we is is there a? I mean, look, NFL is locked up for the next ten years, right? It was a hundred and ten billion dollars worth of rights yes. deals across <laughs> all the like crazy, just crazy, crazy amounts of money for a single uh, sports league, but you know. Is that the only thing that is keeping broadcast going at this point? Primarily. I mean, you have these big signal moments, um, election years, you know, get big ratings. So you have debates and you have, you know, all the campaign campaign drama leading up to an election. And we've seen it certainly the last two years, uh, last two cycles, rather, um, given who's been involved in those elections. It's been a hugely... Um, watched uh contest so those are other big moments that the networks like to point to for 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 hope <laughs> you know that that is another thing that's there but yeah sports is kind of really the last roundup if you look think of the oscar ratings think of you know the emmy awards i mean go down the list of awards shows the grammys they're all losing altitude um and there's even a sense that you know it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world Look, I watched Coachella on YouTube. Like, I think music works well on YouTube. I think some events that we've taken for granted as being part of the broadcast bundle, like awards, could 
prosper uh, on a, a streaming service, I think, um, potentially. I mean, you, you know, Hulu, you might have noticed, booked that um, Red Bull plane stunt where the, mm-hmm. it's like a live event where you tune into Hulu and um, you said you just got Hulu. This could be a point yeah. of viewing for you, Sonny. Um, <laughs> but it's like literally these two planes like diving out of the sky and they switch. It's called plane swap. It might have already aired. Hopefully it didn't. But anyway. The, <laughs> I, I, the, I don't see. This is a problem. I have no idea what you're talking about. I know. You're I'm like, like is this a, a big you're like, I love Hulu. Hulu. What? What's happening? I would watch a plane crash in midair. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, so they're trying. So, But to me, that's a sign of them trying to play at the edges. And I think we will see the once unthinkable of a big awards show or other programming, you know, migrating online. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that was pretty much everything I wanted to, to ask you. What uh, I always like to close these interviews by asking if there's anything I should have asked, if there's anything you think people should know about the streaming wars, the state of uh, the entertainment industry in general. I mean, what 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 should folks know that we, we didn't talk about? Well, I think the next big thing to watch for, and I know it's a bit of a businessy thing, but I think even the casual viewer at home will be able to kind of discern this is you've had this giant stumble by the leader of the field, Netflix, right? They're on their back foot by their own admission. They're trying to regroup. They're trying to figure out how do we provide advertising and make more money there? How do we crack down on password sharing? How do we improve the caliber of our programming? They've got tons of stuff to figure out. They're in disarray. Their stock is down, right? So all they do is streaming. They don't have to worry about theme parks or linear channels or movie studios. They just have to do one. They, 2,000 engineers wake up every morning to make one app, you know. So then you move over to the broadcasters and the networks. And what I think I would close this conversation with is like, what is their counterpunch? Is it we do streaming better and we're going to effectively be It'll be like the TiVo story where the once high flying leader that introduced the concept of time shifting then just gets overtaken by market forces. And we don't even think of TiVo. We just think of the DVR. You know, will that be the fate of Netflix or will it be um, a case of overcorrection? So, you know, there's a big um, series of of presentations in New York in May called the Upfronts. And. It's going to be fascinating to watch. Like, do, does NBC, does CBS, do all these companies take the stage and say, you know, linear viewing is still, you know, do they wave the banner for the old way of like, yes, we locked up the NFL. We have, you know, shows like uh, Yellowstone. We have, you know, are they going to kind of, or, you know, Better Call Saul is a great example. There are still shows, Walking Dead. There are top shows even in the scripted world, not many, but there's a few. So are the networks going to basically counter by saying, you know, and think of Disney in 2019. It was all about streaming. We've like put everything but the kitchen sink into this. We bought Fox, we bought BamTech, we bought all these things, and now we're going to go over the top. Or is now the stance more like, "Mm, (laughs) yeah, we've got some streaming, (laughs) but boy, do we have great, you know, living room shows if you want to just cozy up to the traditional TV. So I just think that tension of like, they've been going at this streaming prize, like just, that's why we titled the book what we did. It's like, they were all just like racing after Netflix, trying to desperately, you know, kind of take them down. But do they want to take them down? Do they even want to bother? That's kind of where we are. We're at this very interesting intersection right now. Yeah. 
And you've got the studios out at CinemaCon right now basically saying, hey, we still love theaters. Oh, I know. We're, we're, not, <laughs> we're, not, we're not going, we're never going to do that again, us folks at HBO Max. We're never going to do that that thing with Warner Brothers again, we promise. I'm so glad you brought uh, up the movie business. We don't have even time to talk movies. but that that And that was an interesting um, front. I had written uh, a book about movies and come out of movie coverage in my career, so and Dawn and I were complimentary in that way. She'd done a lot more tech than I had, and I had done a bit more in the movie side. So as we got into 2019, 2020, the pandemic hits, all these things are going on. I'm saying, Dawn, we got to, we got to cover the movies because that's, that's really the hot spot. And if you think of Black Widow and the controversy there, if you think of all the, as you said, the HBO Max, Warner Brothers movies, like huge decisions are being made, like planets are being tilted off of their axis and this is really in a lot of ways the big fight in streaming so yeah that's one more yep. to, one more to watch <laughs> yeah uh well dave thank you very much for being uh, on the show the go- the book again is binge times inside hollywood's furious billion dollar battle to take down netflix i'll link to it in the newsletter so you can just click on it go buy it there uh he wrote it with don shimaleski Yay. Got it. <laughs> well Yay, done. Got it. Uh, and and uh, uh, it's it's well worth your time. Again, it's a very it is very interesting to read as a kind of first draft of history. This is we just lived through it. Let's uh, let's 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 relive all this again. Um, uh, and it it is there's it's full of you know fascinating little nuggets. So definitely check it out. Uh, I am Sonny Bunch, culture editor at The Bulwark, uh, and I will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. See you guys then.